I think when we're doing that as parents, kids are more likely to repeat the behavior and, and do it for themselves and, and create that within their own world as they grow up and they get older and they have families of their own. And when I think about this question too, about devouring our children, it definitely goes back to that boundary conversation that we just talked about. Even when it's an unpopular choice to do something, you have to do it. You have to, you have to make that right choice. And kids will see that and they'll say, okay, like I, I can recall when my mom or dad did this and this is the outcome. And I, I want to grow to be that person. I want to have those same qualities. They respect that. They want that within themselves. I truly feel like kids want to be good people. And so when they are surrounded by adults that show them that, whether it's their parents, whether it's their support system, whether it's school, whichever they are more likely to nurture those same qualities. So more time in, more family time, whatever that means for you and whatever that means for your family. Families look so different. This is part two for last week's episode 142 with Abby Schaber called Boundaries Every Parent Needs to Know in a World of Increased Depression and Anxiety Among Teens. And I opened with a part of our interview from last week about more time in and that's where we open this interview and we go full circle with all the benefits of time in and what we can miss along the way. I hope you love part two as much as part one and if you do share it with a friend copy this link for the episode you're listening to on whatever podcast app and send it over to a friend text it to someone who might need to hear it as well who is raising their children today, wondering how they're going to keep it all together and stay strong, keep these kids where they pray for their values to be and their family to be and know that it, it, it can be much easier than we sometimes think. It is much less overwhelming when we do it together, when we are with a friend and when we have someone like Abby giving us direction and sharing from experiences she knows about and giving us the tools we need to create those intentional moments and strengthen our family and faith. Come along, friend. Let's grow. You know those days where you just feel so overwhelmed and tired from all the busy and you just want to multiply the time you do have to create more time for intentional words and family dinners and quality time together? And do you just need to know that you really can keep your family close and your faith strong in today's world? Welcome to Families That Stick Together. Just step right over the random pile of clothes, turn right past the paper still out from last week's school project, maybe don't look at the sink, and make yourself at home, friend. I'm your host, Jennifer, wife to my high school sweetheart, mom of four, and creator of Together Moments, where we took our same worries and figured out the answer to slowing down, keeping family time a priority, and creating deep connection through solid communication, even among all the busy. The answer is to gather moments, and we want to come alongside your family as you lay your foundation. If you're ready for time to slow down, intentional moments to overflow, and all of this to feel easy in your real life, then welcome, friend. With your laundry, your running shoes, or your cup of coffee, I can't wait to spend my time with you. Abby, welcome back to part two of your incredible interview. And I want to just 
jump in where we left off. So we have been talking last week about you um, just saying that the best thing that parents need to hear about really protecting our children and setting up boundaries like you had talked about, one of those things that we can really hone in on is more time in. And I, I love how you use that phrase. We, of course, at Together Moments talk about lots of quality time together. Can you just refresh us? What is that more time in thing for you? Why is that so important? I feel like more time in is so important because we kind of live in this like time out society, right? Like it starts whenever kids are really young and we're talking about behavior and whenever they have behavior mishaps, like, okay, time out, time out, time out. Let's take a break. Let's take a break. Um, and those are so great. Those techniques of taking a break and time out are fantastic, but sometimes we kind of stick to that model. And I think when it comes to behavior, there's a really good balance of taking a break and having timeouts versus Let's put more time in. What I think we have to remember with when you're talking about children and, and actually even adults, this is just behavior across the board, whether you're talking about toddlers or whether you're talking about a 65-year-old person, is that behavior is just another form of language. It's just another form of communication. So I think what we have to think as parents is, you know, what is my child trying to tell me right now? What, what is this behavior saying, where is this coming from and what, what does it mean? So I think when we put more time in, we can analyze that behavior a little bit more. Maybe we give more attention. Maybe we are speaking that, that love language of the child. Maybe we are just nurturing whatever is there. Um, so I think when that time is in, we are able to see okay, where's this behavior coming from? What's the root of it? And a lot of times that's the fix to a lot of things. Kids really want attention and they don't know how to ask for it in the best way. And so when you give that time in, it is, it's essential. It's a game changer. Uh, absolutely. I love how you compared that. And you said behavior is just another form of communication. It absolutely is. And yeah, I see that with my own kids. When we have those busy days, those busy days upon days that become a whole week and we're all kind of running around because we're in that kind of season, I really do feel like I miss out on just being around them, just seeing their body language, seeing their actions, their tone of voice, their interactions with everybody. And that is just as important as the words being spoken. You, you really said an important thing there and that we hit those love languages. That is something that I think we can really miss in the busyness of our day is, you know, is if my child's love language is touch, which I have two children like that, I need to make sure we are doing that time in and, and getting those moments of touch in because they're not wanting the words of affirmation that are my really common love language all the time. They, they, they might just want to sit there and, and be snuggled or cuddled or just a quick hug or loved on or just sit next to me. Right. Absolutely. And I feel like for me, my love language is words of affirmation as well. So I love that we're the same here, but I feel like for me, it's so much easier for me to give my love language 
than to give someone else's. And, you know, I have to be really cognizant, even when I am putting the time in of like, what type of time am I putting in? Is it quality time for them? Or is it more me, me making myself feel better about being an involved parent or being uh, present within my child's life? Um, so I really have to think about, okay, how do I kind of speak to that? And every child is so different. I know we talked about that before and it really does vary and what works for one is not going to work for the other. So kind of keeping that in mind of what is that love language? And maybe the love language changes as they develop. So you might have a younger kiddo where you feel like, okay, touch is a really big love language and they really, that physical affection is really important for them. But as they get older, they might see their love language changing. Maybe it moves into verbal affirmations. Maybe it moves into gifts or acts of service. And so kind of being aware of, okay, how does my child respond best? Maybe doing those quizzes. Um, have, are you familiar with the love language quizzes? Yes, I am. And we haven't talked about this much on here. So yes, t- talk about it. Well, I love it. Um, a huge fan. So I learned about it when I was first in school forever ago. And when it originally popped out, it was just made for couples. And I was all over it. When I went into this field, that's really what I thought I wanted to work with was couples. You know, I come from a divorced family. So I think my goal was like, okay, well, if I can fix every couple, then I can make sure that I can fix my own relationship and I'll be good to go and I won't ever be divorced. It's a great concept. And I still love working with couples. Um, but this this uh, five love languages quiz that came out, I was like, this is genius, you know? And then through the years, it's really been adapted to all ages. So I really encourage families to look at it. Not only if you want to look at your own spouse relationship, partner relationship, marital relationship, whatever you want to call it, that's so important. But then also speaking the love language of your kids and they have these fun little quizzes that you can do online. Um, you kind of rank what, what do you like better? This or that, this or that. It's super easy, but I would definitely recommend it for anybody. I think it's really interesting. Some people are like, that's spot on. That's totally me. That's what I feel like the majority of people say to me. But some people are like, I'm totally shocked. I really didn't think that that's what my answers would be or that's what it would, that's what I would want. But it speaks to them even more. They're like, I think it's kind of right. Then you have the small percentages like, no, I don't know. I'm not sure how I feel about that. But I just think it's really interesting. And it's a really good talking concept, not only in your marriage, but also as a family. And, you know, we talk so much about how can we speak to our kids, but this is also a good way of teaching kids how to speak to adults. You know, when we talk about how as a parent, we're showing our love and we're trying to meet their love language and meet them where they are that's a great teaching point, but then also teaching the reciprocity of it because when they can learn how to show love to, to other people and to speak other people's love language, they're more intuitive to people's emotions, whether those are friendships, whether those are romantic relationships. And I think that helps them be successful in life and navigating all of those different types of relationships that they will come into. Yeah, that understanding and being able to read other people is such a great skill to be able to give our children. And if you're talking about that as a family and you're evaluating that naturally because you said, what type of time in are you giving? What are you taking time to do? And if we talk to our children about this and we actually discuss with them that we want to consciously think about that and reach them where they are, then that is a gift that we're giving them to be able to identify that in their friendships, in their future relationships, dating relationships, in their marriage later on, in their work relationships. It's just such, such an advantage 
for the rest of their life. And they're growing up in a culture that isn't handing them this because they are in the digital world and reverting to screens and you know how it is, but any communication, any type that we can give them and help them create skills in is going to be so beneficial in the long run. I'm I'm glad you brought up the five love languages. I love that too. (laughs) Um, Abby, I want to ask you, I want to kind of switch gears here and talk about some negative things that our children may go through, but how you can help us with that. So when you are working with your clients, I know that you assist them in identifying negative beliefs and thoughts so that positive changes in behavior and emotional well-being can take place. Can you give us some simple tips as parents to help us do some of these things at home for our children, especially in our small moments throughout the day? How do we help our adolescents and teens get rid of negative beliefs? Yeah, absolutely. I've got tons of tips. And I think that this category, there's, you know, there's so many different coping strategies, so many different skills that you can teach. But what I find with adolescents and teens is that it's like a lot of times I'll be met with this perspective of like, well, those don't work. You know, those are way too simple or, okay, I tried that a couple times, but I really like, I just really didn't think it was that great. And so I, I think that's pretty, pretty apparent across the board when I work with that age group. So What I kind of encourage is when I'm kind of teaching a coping strategy, teaching a skill, I say, you know, let's try this. Let's try this for three weeks to a month. You know, they say research says like you can develop a new habit in three weeks. So I try to kind of use that time frame. And always a month is kind of like easier. So I'm like, okay, let's see how many times we can do this in a month. And if you can report back to me and there's a decent amount of time that we've tried it in a month and you can genuinely tell me, okay, that totally stinks. I don't want to use it then all right, let's move on to something else and let's try it. But if in that month you're like, ooh, I kind of liked that, we're going to keep that in our toolbox and we're going to keep that and then we're going to keep building on it. So now I'm going to teach you something else. But I really feel like this concept is so simple. It's really just this glass half full perspective. Just trying to encourage our children to take this glass half full perspective. I truly, truly believe perspective is everything. It's such a simple concept. But I think that people want to think they have this last half full perspective, but when they actually take, the, take a moment and stop and they're explaining whatever's happening in their life from an outsider looking in, I feel like it's really a, a glass half empty perspective. And so I really just try to teach kids, okay, let's take a step back and let's look at it. And how do we see the situation? And, you know, with this, it's like, I really try to tell tell kids, adults, everything. It's like, I don't expect you to go and poop rainbows here. Let's be realistic. Like, I want you to think, okay, yeah, that was a really bad day, but like, what was one good thing in it? And I think the classic answer here is, yeah, I'm like, I at least have a family, at least have a roof over my head, and at least I have food to eat. And like, all those are great. I'm totally not going to minimize that. I'm very happy for that. But I try to try to encourage them, like, let's think about the simple things. Like what has made you happy today? You know, while you've had this totally off day, what's something really small that you can say, all right, that's been a solid moment of my day. Like for me today, I was totally pumped that I woke up before my kids and got two packages of mini muffins to take to work today. (laughs) 
So it's like so simple, but I was like, oh, awesome. Like there's, there's two packages left and I'm totally going to snag them before anybody wakes up. And so it's, it can be so simple. It could simply be like, you know, like so-and-so totally ignored me today, which was awesome because they're usually really mean to me or, you know, like I didn't trip walking down the hallway. I mean, that's a bonus. So I just try to encourage like, what are some small things? How can we take this day, whatever it is, this moment and give it a different perspective? How can we look at it as like, all right, it really wasn't that bad. I always just try to tell people like, I want you to think what's the worst case scenario. Usually like it involves death. Did you die? Okay, well, you didn't die, so that's not what's happening. It's not the worst case scenario, so let's try to find an alternative. And that usually kind of triggers them to be like, oh, yeah, that's a good point. Like, it really is not that bad. Um, so I think once you try to encourage, how do we look at situations from this glass half full perspective? How do we try to find the minimal good? It can really shape the way that you think about things. And there's, you know, tons of quotes about life. You know, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. It's so true, though. You know, if, if you're just going to think life is just going to give you lemons, you're totally going to have this sour outlook for the rest of your life. And you, then you're going to pass that on. It's like generational outlooks. But if you can change that and you think, okay, so I've been dealt a tough hand. How am I going to manage it? What am I going to do to change it? You can change your total outlook. And it totally changes your mental perspective of like, okay, I got this. I can totally wrap this out today. So many people talk about gratitude journals and, and doing that. And I think what you're saying is such an easy thing of that is just ask our children, what's one thing that made you happy today? What's a solid moment that filled your day with goodness, filled that moment with goodness? Um, one thing that we ask around the dinner table when we don't do together stickers, of course, is just tell something that, share something that made you happy today. Just share something that was good for you. And it'll just be the smallest moment. And someone might say, oh, my day was bad or whatever. My teacher yelled at me or something. Okay, that's fine. That happens. That's life. But tell me something good that happened at lunch. And inevitably, they have something to pull out. And I think that's such a good reminder. What you said here is that it doesn't have to be the whole day. And this is such a good conversation to keep having with our children because as they get older, they're going to see that a good day, the, the quote unquote good day is not defined by this perfect day where everything went well. And we have to change the perspective, like you said, perspective really is everything. And what are we setting our children up to define as a good day or to define as being happy? Or, you know, we have such an opportunity to shape them. And wow, as you're talking, I'm like, yes, we have to give our kids that skill of knowing what that even means to have positive beliefs because the negative ones are inevitable. It's going to happen. It's a part of life, but how do you fill your day with the positivity? I am so on board with that. And then sometimes like when I try to teach people about their inner voice, sometimes people look at me like I have three heads, but I'm like, Oh, come on. You know, like everybody's got a voice inside their head, but you know, that inner voice, I truly think like, I think most people are programmed to have a really negative inner voice. You know, when we say like, we're our biggest critic, that's where it comes from. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's like, 
you know, how do you shape that inner voice? The negative is always going to be there. Like you're always going to find something that you're like, oh, that could be better. Or like, oh, that wasn't my finest moment. But how do we shape that so that that's not the mainstream of what we hear? I feel like teens really struggle a lot with self-image. They really struggle with this like FOMO, like this fear of missing out and how to be accepted. And I think a lot of that is related back to that inner voice. And so I do a lot of um, teaching on how do we challenge these thoughts. And this is something easy that parents can do at home too. Like how do we challenge some of that negative thinking, that little voice in our inside of our head that that doesn't stop talking. That's kind of like, well, if you don't do this, you're going to miss out. And if you don't do this, so-and-so is not going to like you. And then, oh, they're not going to invite you to this. And then you're totally not going to be anything in the social world. You know, how do we challenge that voice? And it can be really hard because like I said, that I think that voice is kind of programmed to be a little bit more negative, to be a little bit more critical. But that is one of the most important skills I think that we can teach them because while that's never going to go away, we can always challenge it with something a little bit more positive, you know, especially in regards to social acceptance, thoughts of ourselves, our, you know, our um, confidence levels, you know, how much motivation we have. So I just try to teach people this concept, what we call in our world is reframing. How do we, how do we take this negative and reframe it to be a little bit more positive? And I think that that's one of the most helpful things that you can do. You can do it in lots of different ways. Maybe it's just conversation. You know, you sit down with somebody and you're like, okay, let's talk about this. Let's talk about your day. Let's talk about this positive moment. Okay. Now that you found this positive moment, let's go back to this negative. What made this so bad? And, and how can we change the way that you're, you're viewing this or you see this? And when this happens again, what can we think instead? You can do it like that. You can simply say, Hey, like maybe I have a kiddo that benefits more from journaling. So have them write it down. I always like to say, like, I love the concept of journaling. Like I'm one of those that gets super, super excited about it. And then I get to sit down and I feel like I'm totally being like, dear diary today, Johnny looked at me. Um, and so then I'm totally turned off by it. I'm like, Oh, so I like to tell people like, I just want you to like take a piece of paper and word vomit on it. Just put it all down and then we can do with it as you please. And you know, some people really like it structured. Some people are like, I'm totally writing all over the page, front and back, sideways, upside, upside down, whatever. But there's lots of different strategies for that. Maybe some people like a T-chart. They want to put the negative on one side, the positive on the other. Maybe people like to create some different artwork or doodles around it. You know, that's just another way that you can do it, another outlet. Abby's teaching us some incredible ways to keep the positive thoughts coming and decrease those negative thoughts for our kids. And one thing that you can do easily at home is grab a Together sticker, whether it is from your Together for Family dinner game or your Together for date night, which, yes, is for you and your spouse, but you can grab one of those stickers for your family, too. We leave both on our table, and we are likely to grab one for the date night from the date night game for our children also. It's super fun, like the one that we have in this episode as our bonus question with Abby. And I encourage you, if you haven't already gotten one for your family dinner table to bring one home today at togethermoments.com and see just how incredibly easy it is to have this regular practice of consistent positive communication that brings all the time in you want for your family and all those small moments you already have. This bonus question with Abby 
comes to us from Together for Date Night and the I Do category. Abby, do you have one phrase someone spoke to you that changed you? What was it? Absolutely. When I was growing up, my dad would always quote Philippians 4.13 to me. Um, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And at the time when I was little, I thought, gosh, I thought you were telling me this all the time. Now as an adult, this is everything that I go back to. I preach it to my kids. I tell myself this. Sometimes it's like how I get through the day. So that is the one thing that has really stuck with me throughout life. Oh, I love that. What a confirmation to us as parents that what we speak really does make such a difference. So do you find yourself just recalling that naturally in so many different moments through your day? Yes, yes. From like the simplest things to like the most complex. And especially I was just thinking about my daughter the other day. I was trying to give her some like words of wisdom. She was really nervous about something. And here I am trying to think of something magical. And this is what actually comes out of my mouth. It's like so ingrained in my gut. And I was like, oh, I didn't even realize I was saying this. This sounds so good. Um, So, and then I'm quoting it to her and she's loving it. So I love that I can even pass it on to my kids and I'm hoping it's something that sticks with them too. Oh my gosh, I'm sure it absolutely will. And I love that you just reminded all of us to speak those phrases often because just like this sticker asked you, it is one phrase that may change our children forever. And in regards to kind of communicating those needs, I really think there's a wide variety. Some people, some kids feel more comfortable talking about it, where some kids don't. So even if you don't have a kid that likes a journal, maybe you can say, hey, shoot me a text. Let's text about this. Do you want to shoot it to me? And then we can, we can kind of talk back and forth that way. So they, you kind of meet them where they are and they feel a little bit more comfortable opening up about those things. Ah, that's a great idea about texting for your child that has a phone and if they're uncomfortable to just let them do it that way. I, I appreciate that idea. That's really good. And as you're talking, I, you know, my own inner voice can be, can really beat me up sometimes, whether it's business stuff, personal stuff, whatever. And I need to be more aware of that in my, myself as well. So thank you for reminding us of that. And the third thing I was thinking was, I want to challenge everyone, myself included, that before this day ends, whenever we're all listening to this, to grab a pad of paper, a post-it notes, a little index card, whatever, and write something really positive. So Abby, you were talking about reframing the negative talk. Thoughts. So maybe we could kind of be sneaky and think of something. If our child has been dealing with something, maybe we could reframe that without them knowing we're talking directly about that. Or we can just say something that we want to remind our child is a truth that we want to speak over them, that God would speak over them. And just like five words, that's it. Or, you know, a little sentence, I'm proud of you for this, or I've noticed you doing this, or I just think you're amazing because whatever, or I just think you're awesome, just wanted you to know, whatever. And put it on their mirror or wherever they're going to see it right away. And you know what? I'm going to add a twist and say, do it for ourselves too, because I need to hear that myself. And those negative thoughts in my own head can really beat me up too. So I think we should all do it for ourselves and our spouse. You know what? Just do it for the whole family. (laughs) (laughs) 
I love that idea. I totally love that idea. You know, and I, I was going to say, I love that you just said, do it for yourself too, because I feel like I'm a better parent when I can live these things. You know, I love to think that I'm perfect and I do this all the time because I preach it, but I realistically, I don't. And, but I really feel like the best teaching moments as a parent or even a therapist is when I can kind of share these personal examples and say, you know, like, you know, my inner voice might be very different than yours, depending on the phase of life that whoever I'm talking to is in. And, but I just try to share, you know, like everybody has negative thoughts and how do I practice reframing them? And body image is one of the easiest things because I think people really struggle with it. So I just try to give some examples and you can put some funny spins on it, you know, like adding some humor, I really think helps adolescents kind of deal with things a little bit easier. So I think that's a great idea. I love kind of like giving that to everybody in the family. And whenever you can show your own vulnerabilities, I think it makes kids realize like, oh, hey, maybe this is never going to go away. And I probably need to work on this. Or, you know, hey, I didn't know mom and dad kind of struggle with that too. And look, this is how they deal with it. And they'd actually, they're, they're turning out okay. You know, they would never tell you that, but they might think it. So that's, <laughs> that's the bonus that we want to go for. Yeah, when we can sh- share a story that they can relate so well to and say, Oh, mom and dad actually do know what they're talking about because yeah, they, they just told me that they go through. And I tell my kids that all the time. I know you feel this way, but I want you to know, I still feel that way as an adult and you just have to learn to deal with it and learn how to adjust and change your perspective on it and see the goodness in it. So yeah, we always have to remind our children of how we are more like them than they may want to believe. <laughs> so <Thank you>. Abby, <laughs> I, um, I want to end with this question. What are, this is so important. I know we all think about this. We want our children to of course grow up to be happy and joyful and, and find the positivity in things. But sometimes that's not always going to happen, especially with this tween teen age group. So what are three warning signs we should look out for that our children may be struggling with anxiety or depression or self-esteem? And what should we do if we see these? So I feel like I'm going to give you three warning signs, but if you, you know, even if you Google or if you research, these are kind of some things that come up that I think that we've done a really great job with in our profession of trying to be like, Hey, look at this. This is really important. Um, so I think that you can find these resources a lot of different places, but I feel like the top three that I really try to look for, number one is withdrawing from like activities or people or family members. I feel like that's one of the biggest ones. This is also one of the trickiest ones because you know, like when you're talking about that preteen teen age range, like withdrawing is kind of a normal thing that they tend to do anyway, just of their stage of development and trying to find that independence and what it means to be them. And they're kind of like, Ooh, I'm not sure about my family right now. You know, like how much do I want to say that they're my family? So part of that's normal, but I want you to kind of look outside of, okay, this is what I would think would be normal for that age. And then I'm seeing plus some, this is the plus some that I'm talking about. You know, when they've been doing sports or activities for several years and they're suddenly like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to go to practice. I don't want to do this. I really don't want to hang out with these people. I'd rather stay in my room all the time. That's a really big warning sign. Um, So I think just kind of addressing that would be one of the starting points, you know, like, Hey, why are you feeling this way? 
tell me about why you don't want to hang out with this group. Tell me about why you don't want to go to practice or why have you lost this interest? Starting that conversation. So that's, that's my number one. Um, number two would be just kind of like changes in sleep, changes in energy levels. Again, this one's kind of a doozy too when you're talking about preteens and teens. I mean, gosh, I think back to when I was that age and like the luxury of sleeping to like 1 p.m. on the weekends. I think that's just hilarious now given that I have children and that never happens. That's like a dream way back when. But, you know, part of that is normal again. Like teens love to sleep. There's lots of brain development that we've talked about. There's lots of physical development happening that is happening while they sleep. So they need the sleep. That's really, really great. I'm more so talking about, do they want to sleep like that all the time? What are their energy levels like when they do sleep like that? When, when they have a long sleep, are they still waking up and they're saying like, oh my gosh, I'm just so tired. Like, I really don't want to do anything today. I'm just totally lounging. I just want to be in my room and in my bed. Or are they like, oh, I feel totally rested. So there's a huge difference. So I would kind of look for decrease in energy levels consistent changes in sleep patterns where you're like, man, this is really causing you to be isolated, which kind of fits in with my number one. Um, so those kind of piggyback off of each other. And then my third one is always entertaining too. I really look for irritability levels and mood fluctuations, which it's like anytime you ask a preteen or a teen about, Hey, how irritable are you feeling? Is this like an everyday thing? And they're like laughing in your face because they're like, yes, all the time. So again, it's an everyday thing, but it's like, okay, what's outside the norm? You know, when you're talking about girls, you kind of have the hormonal cycle that takes place. And so lots of education about what does that look like? But then it's also education on um, boys too. And they, they still have hormone fluctuations and talking about, okay, what are your irritability levels look like? Are you feeling more anger? Are you feeling more frustration than typical? Am I noticing that you're kind of like flying off the handle a lot or are these like everyday things constantly annoying you to a level 10 versus, you know, I kind of feel like that warranted like a level five. So I like to try to like check in on that and just kind of see, Hey, where are we? These, these mood fluctuations kind of go in conjunction with the irritability. It's like, how much does your irritability contribute to your mood? Are you constantly in this, like, you know, down in the dumps mood or do we have a lot of good moments too? It's just that we have big moments that are really annoying or really frustrating. So I really try to check in on those top three and think, okay, where am I here? Is this the norm or am I kind of seeing something a little off? Those were excellent pieces of advice and I can see the difference in my own children. Just, you definitely know if when they have the changes in sleep patterns, if it is a true problem, if it is a sign of something, um, the withdrawing from activities, you'll be able to tell as a parent if it is just their age, their mood about whatever's happening around them, or if it's truly a problem, I can see that. But, you know, that goes back to the time in. We have to spend the, put the time in so that we can even notice these things because none of us want to wake up and think, oh my gosh, I haven't paid attention. And why didn't I notice that for the last three months? Well, maybe because you haven't been really being intentional with your words and your time together. So yeah, all of this wraps in to just be the preventative measure to ever getting to this point. That's why family dinner is so important and all these 
moments together have got to happen in our families and we have to make time for it and sacrifice all the other things so that we can really get to where we want to be as a family and, and raise the children in the way that we want to. Of course, there's environmental factors out there. Sometimes we can't control, but there's a lot we can control. I was absolutely going to agree with you there in the sense of, even though it feels um, sometimes like, oh my, oh my, like, how do I manage this? How do I manage work? How do I manage my marriage? How do I manage my family? How do I manage raising all these great kids that I have or one kid? It's all exhausting, whether one, one or six, you know, sometimes that seems overwhelming, but I will tell you, I think it is so much easier to put the time in on the forefront rather than getting to the point what that you just referred to of like, how did I miss that? And then you're backpedaling and you're suddenly feeling like you were treading water just to stay afloat. It's so much easier to put the, the effort in on the forefront. So I think if you see some of these things in your own child or, or even in another family member, there's different things that you can do. Um, number one, offer support. Put, start putting the time in. If you haven't been putting the time in, put the time in. Let's offer support. Let's meet the, meet the person where they are. And let's say, hey, I noticed that we're kind of in a funk. This is what I'm seeing. What can we do? What can I do? I want to help you out. I don't totally don't want you to live in a funk. So what can we do? And then extend that support network a little bit further. So like, how do we build in more support from family members or friends? Like maybe your child is totally like not feeling you at the moment, which kind of happens sometimes. So how do we choose another family member that we really trust and that we can say, all right, you know, maybe you're not feeling my level of support right now. How can I tag your it? I'm going to tag another family member to come in right now and kind of help build that support for you, build, build that relationship that you need. Maybe that's a close family friend. Maybe it's, maybe it's a friend on their level. You know, some other things that you can do is just propose some different lifestyle changes. I have this 10 essentials that I preach that are about lifestyle changes and just simple things that we can do on a day in and day out basis to kind of help our mood all related back to like, you know, just living, you know, basic necessities of life. So how can we propose some of these healthy lifestyle changes that we know that are research-based that can make a difference? The other thing is that you can seek professional help. We have amazing school counselors in the area. So First, start with a school counselor and say like, okay, hey, what resources do we have on the school front? What resources are free that I can tap into that this person sees my child for seven hours, could seven hours a day, you know, at a time. So tap into your school counselor, tap into your school resources. You know, there's tons of mental health therapists. There's a shortage, but we have a lot of them here. And then also just like making an appointment with your pediatrician or your general provider, whoever your child goes to see. But I feel like there are amazing resources. And what we're trying to do right now is intertwine some of that mental health and physical health. Um, and how do we build that together and collaborate a little bit more? So that's kind of what's happening in the Northern Kentucky realm. I think a lot of offices are really trying to work together and collaborate so that when we have a patient, when we have a client, we're coming at it from this holistic perspective of okay, this is what physical health is um, going on. This is what mental health is going on. And how do we merge these two together so that we can help each other? So I just think those are simple, simple things that you can do and reach out about. And I think they're really, really helpful and can be game changers. That's such great advice and realistic advice. That doesn't sound intimidating. It feels like something we can really make happen for our children if we do see this. 
Abby, this has been an incredible interview. I am so thankful that you were able to give us your time and share with our Together audience. I'm sure they have really loved this episode. Tell us how should people get in touch with you? Of course, our local people have more access to you, but just for the person across the country who wants to follow you, tell us how they can stay connected. Oh, I would love that. That's so fun. I've had so much fun doing this. This has been so great. And I would love to come back if you ever need anybody. I just enjoyed talking to you. You're pretty fantastic. So I, I um, own Brightside Counseling. So if you Google Brightside Counseling, Florence, Kentucky, It'll take you to my website. You can shoot me, shoot me an email through there. My email address is brightsidecounselingnky, like Northern Kentucky, at gmail.com. I am on Facebook. I'm really not regular about posting on Facebook, but I am on Facebook. Um, so you can find me through there. There's Brightside Counseling. And that's usually kind of the easiest way to reach out. I'm happy to always touch base. Sometimes I'm slow as molasses on getting back, but I always always get back. So um, shoot me an email, shoot me a message. I would love to talk to talk to anybody. Abby, thank you so much for giving your time to us. You have just made my day brighter and thank you for being here. You are so sweet. Thank you so much for the opportunity. This was fantastic. If you love what you're gathering through these episodes, please screenshot, tag us, share with friends, and leave a review. It is the best compliment you can give us. It is so encouraging, and together we can help grow stronger families. Be sure to follow us at Together Moments on Instagram and Facebook. Leave us a DM. Check out all our incredible games and tools and your free family resources at togethermoments.com. As always, Take time to gather, together to grow, and speak the words that matter.